Before we get going in this, though, I do want to say that this is one of those stories that's always included in, in children's Bibles and told in Sunday schools. And uh, it's one that can become so familiar to us that we generally just gloss over it uh, as we grow up in the faith. But um, and, and I'll say I, I've generally done that. But this week digging into it has been just an amazing thing, because I'll tell you uh, now after spending time in it. It is one of my favorite stories from the life of our Savior, and I hope that you feel the same way after today. Uh, it's a tiny, short passage that begins in, in verse 22 of chapter 8. Um, and so we're going to read that there, and if you will, follow along in your Bibles. Beginning in verse 22. One day, he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. And so they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and in danger. And they went, and they woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even the wind and the water, and they obey him? Grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Lord God, teach us with your word today. Enlighten our hearts to receive it, to believe it. Help us to relate to the disciples and to, to learn what they learned. Show us how this historical event recorded in your word speaks to your glory, your might, your authority, and your love for the disciples in the boat, as well as your love for your disciples wherever we find ourselves today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a bit later, we're going to consider how this passage shows us the divinity of Jesus. But did you notice right from the very start of this, the way that it shows us the, the humanity of the Lord? Uh, in verse 23, we see Jesus is just uh, exhausted. He's run out of energy from the day, uh, from their day, and, and he just goes to sleep in this boat. Um, he's just as prone to fatigue and exhaustion as, as any other human is. You see, Jesus, our Lord, knows what it's like to, to be human because he is human. He's God, but he's also human. Uh, they're, 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 you know, he, he's no stranger than to the limitations that we face in our own bodies and our, our need to need uh, for rest as well. You see, they're, uh, and then we see this, they're, they're sailing on the Sea of Galilee. It's, it's this freshwater lake. We call it a sea. It confuses things that way. Uh, it's 13 miles long and it's five miles wide. Uh, I believe Tuttle Creek is trying to expand itself to that, but hopefully it won't get there. Um, the Sea of Galilee, though, is, is 700 feet below sea level, and it's surrounded on almost every side by these mountains. And, and so these windstorms can come into it really quick uh, because it creates this bowl-like structure ar around this lake. And, and yet the storm that we're talking about here is something unique, right? Quite, quite significant, considering that, that four of the disciples who are in this boat with Christ are actually professional fishermen on this very lake most of their lives. And yet we see them here absolutely panic at the storm that they find themselves in. And so there they are, right? The, the wind is blowing. The waves are swelling and rocking the boat. You can imagine there's water sloshing around uh, their ankles. 
Certainly the fishermen who have sailed before, they, they've tried to, to do what they can in this boat for a while. But, uh, but then in fear, they, they shout to Jesus, Master, Master, we are perishing. Now there's a problem with the way they, they cry out to Jesus here. And we're going to look at that in a little bit. Um, but at least this, right? At least they know where to go when they are desperate and in trouble. They know who to cry out to. But, but before we get to Jesus' response, though, now I want us to consider the way that they found themselves in this situation to begin with. Right? Because it was Jesus who tells them to get in the boat and to cross the sea. One of the questions I, I hear fellow Christians often asking is, you know, what is God's will for my life? And by that, they, they typically mean something real specific, right? Or, or they just kind of think, I, I wish God w- would tell me, you know, what major I, I should do. Or, you know, what, should I marry this woman or this man? Or what job I should take and so on. Uh, what is God's will for this moment of my life is this general question that's asked. Because we think if, if we could get that answer, if we could know exactly what God wants us to do, this will be the easiest route, the most comfortable route we can possibly take. And so then think about this. The, the disciples here know the specific will of God for this moment in their life as clearly as anyone could ever have it. Jesus is physically present with them. He is verbally speaking to them. And he says, let us go across to the other side of the lake. In other words, these disciples sailing into this, this unfathomable storm are actually obeying God's call for them perfectly. And their obedience leads them into a storm. The same's true when we find ourselves facing the storms of life, which uh, will come in your life if they haven't already come in your life. And, and that's an important thing for us to know. Church, don't, don't think that having received the gift of faith in Jesus means we're going to be exempt from the troubles of life. We're not. Christians suffer the same natural disasters. The same accidents, the same medical concerns and chronic illness. They're victim of the same sinful abuse everyone else suffers. The British pastor, Donald English, right? It's a great name for a British pastor. Donald English, anyway. uh, He wrote this. He said, forms of Christianity which encourage and promise a life of continual success, excitement, and growth will not only lead to frustration and despair, They actually point the disciple towards the wrong goal in the Christian pilgrimage. It is enough that Christ goes with us on the journey. We do not judge his care for us, nor the state of our discipleship, by the roughness of the seas over which we sail. We rejoice in the Lord, not in our current circumstances. If if your life has just been a peaceful ride on a boat through a calm sea, be grateful for that. Do be grateful. But, but also know there, there's no promise that your life is going to continue to be going so peacefully. The, these disciples, right, they're, they're with Christ. They're enjoying a calm night on the, on the sea, along the water, before suddenly this storm shows up unexpectedly in their life. And, and, and so while we know that, that God is not the author of evil, we also know that the storms of life are, dec- are, are the decreed will of God. And, and yet that doesn't mean that, that we have to pretend then that storms are wonderful, right? We, we can hate sickness and hate cancer and hate natural disasters. And we can hate sin and all the scars that, 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 uh, of our world that remain because of the violent presence of sin in the world. We can hate those things. And so then, 
Here's why I wanted to show you this, this aspect, right? Why I wanted to show you that Jesus led them into the storm. Because I want us to understand this, to see this, to know that, that this storm has a purpose. An actual purpose. And the storms of your life also have a purpose. I'm concerned that when we fail to see God's hand in our hardship, we, we may also fail to learn what the Lord intends to teach us. I know we don't like it, but, but storms like afflictions are, are one of the ways that we grow spiritually. And, and since I, I, I can't seem to get through any sermon lately, if you notice this, without quoting J.C. Ryle, it's a weird compulsion I have for some reason. Uh, I, I'm going to do it again. And, and J.C. Ryle had this to say. He says, by affliction, he, meaning Jesus, he teaches us many precious lessons, which without it we, which we should never learn. By affliction, he shows us our emptiness and weakness. Draws us to the throne of grace, purifies our affections, weans us from the world, and makes us long for heaven. On the resurrection morning, we shall all say, it is good for me that I was afflicted. We shall thank God for every storm. Now to get back to what's going on in the boat, right? The, the storm is raging. And this group of extra, expert sailors crying out to Jesus saying, we are perishing. They're freaking out. Uh, plain and simple. And I, and I want to say, who, who can blame them for freaking out? They're about to drown, right? If there's ever a moment to just panic and go nuts, this seems to be the moment. It, it seems perfectly reasonable to me. You might be wondering then, right? For, from before, what, what's wrong with them crying out to Jesus? Here's what's wrong with it. They, they assume... At this point, the, the very worst is going to happen. They're, they're not saying, Jesus, help us. We need you. They're, they're saying we're perishing, right? We're dying right now. The storm's going to kill us, Jesus. And look at You're asleep. Think about the heart of that statement. They, they, they've assumed a few things about Jesus here. They've assumed, one, Jesus doesn't know that they're in any danger at all. That's an assumption. Jesus knows. They've assumed that Jesus doesn't care that they're about to die in a storm. I mean, he's sleeping. Jesus does care about them. I, I know often, you know, we often respond to moments of, of danger and anxiety just like these guys in, these boat, in this boat here. And I, so I, I think it can and should come as some comfort to us to know that, that this boat contains true disciples of Jesus who simply need their view to be expanded. Right? When we show weakness, it doesn't imply necessarily that, that we're unbelievers, but simply that we need, there's more for us to learn. More for us to believe properly about who Christ is, who our triune God is, and, and how He cares for us. You see, at this moment, they've forgotten how safe they are with Jesus. You probably know this from, from experience, but... Um, unexpected dangers often make men and women terrible theologians. They just do, at least for the moment. But it doesn't have to be that way. You know, what, what, what do you do when, when you find yourself in a situation that, that causes raging sea-like anxiety in your life? When, when you realize, you know what, it's, it is absolutely out of my control. 
And that is not the way I like it. I mean, do you, do you worry that, you know, maybe, maybe God's asleep right now. He doesn't know what's going on with me right now. Or, or, or do you jump to conclusions? Maybe he just doesn't care. William Henriksen wrote of this passage. He said, isn't it comforting to know that an outcry of human distress awakens the one whom a violent storm did not awaken. Jesus cares. And so then how is it that Jesus, knowing this and caring about them, is able to sleep through this storm? He has utter confidence in his Father who is awake even as he sleeps. We seem to think that we, we need to be on high alert for, for every danger. Some of us do. I tend to fall into that camp, right? We, we have all these wise-sounding reasons for worry, right? It's just, it's just healthy vigilance. That's all I'm doing. No, no matter how extreme it is, right? And, and yeah, sometimes that what it, that's what it is. You know, Nehemiah set guards or watchmen on the wall. But, but, but really, if we're honest, how often is it just a lack of trusting the Lord for our, our protection? I, I admit... I have, over the years, really struggled to sleep under storms in Kansas because of the reputation for tornadoes, right? Um, that's my official reason, fear of tornadoes. But if you really get down to the heart of it, my, my fear is that God's not going to protect us. That, that's more of my heart issue. That and some asinine idea that, you know, by being awake, somehow I could, I could shield off the tornado. No, go away. It's ridiculous, and yet that's, that's a functioning sometimes. I, I, I know I'm not the only one. You know, what, what happens in your heart when, when the news report says, you know, another terror attack has occurred somewhere? Or, or, or when you, you hear the doctors, you know, use that phrase, let's, let's run some more tests. I mean, how, how, does your heart cry out in those moments? I, I'm perishing. One huge reason... That we are just a culture of insomniacs is because we, we don't trust God to be God. We just don't. We stay awake in our beds trying to, to mentally undo some recent history, something you regret, right? Some failure. And while at the same time conjuring up ways to control every person and event in the future that's to come. We stay up trying to be God. Here in our text, though, we see that Jesus has faith in his father's care and his power. And that's why he can sleep through this storm. There's this great story I read not too long ago. Um, it's a story told of a ship traveling from England to New York in the 1800s. And during the night, this fierce storm arises and comes upon the ship. And it was so rough that it begins waking everyone on board up. And as the storm continued to rage, people began panicking and getting out of their beds. And they're, they're getting dressed and they're prepared for the worst because they all know the stories of these things happening. And a, a steward entered the room of one little girl and, and found her sleeping. And the steward woke her and, and asked her, is your father on deck? And, and the little girl replied, yes. And then she went right back to sleep. You see, her father was the captain and, and, and she knew that she was safe with him watching over her. The same is, is true with your Heavenly Father. 
only significantly more so, right? I know you can see the errors in her, in her reasoning as a little girl, but, but understand the sentiment here because it's so much more significant with Christ because uh, for we can know what, what Jesus knows when he's in the boat here, right? That, that his father isn't just the captain of the ship. He's the captain of the storm. That's huge. And if your faith is in Jesus Christ, then God is your heavenly father as well. The captain of the storm. I, I've shared before, just moments ago, in fact, my, my struggles with anxiety. And uh, let me say as a bit of encouragement to some of you that might just naturally lean that way. Uh, the, the Lord's given me great growth in that area in recent years. I, I can actually sleep through a storm now. Unbelievable. I can put earplugs in and just go to bed without worrying. It's insane. I can also sleep through children crying. Uh, I, I hate flying. I, I still think they're absolute death traps, planes. But, uh, but I'm able to trust the Lord that he is ultimately in control of every takeoff and every landing. And it's, it's an amazing thing, right? I, I, I pray mentally placing my life in God's hand, but, but no longer grinding my teeth to tiny nubs during the flight. This is, you know, progress I've seen the Lord doing. And, and I just want to encourage you, if you feel anxiety, the, the, the Lord can, can do wonders for that. No matter how high your anxiety naturally is. And, and so then in our, our passage here, I want you to look at verse 24. Uh, because Jesus does awake at their cries for help. And he rebukes the wind and the raging waves. And suddenly all stops. And the lake is calm. See, at the beginning, in his humanity, Jesus, exhausted, sleeps in the boat. But in his divinity, he now authoritatively commands the sea to be calm. And it obeys him. In the Gospel of Mark, Mark actually records the words out of Jesus' mouth. He says, peace, be still. That phrase, be still, is, is literally in the Greek, this, this word that means be muzzled. Quiet. Um, God has created us with an imagination. I, I want you to use that imagination for just a moment. To, to be able to just picture this moment. Uh, so you can understand what the disciples are going through. Right, The, the, the sea is raging. And, and you're holding on to something solid to keep from being tossed around. And, and you wake Jesus. And, and, and he speaks. And suddenly the sea before you becomes calm. Your heart rate begins to return to somewhere close to normal. Their eyes and their thoughts turn to Jesus. Every one of them you know are staring at Him. This man has the power over the weather. That's insane. So then in the aftermath, there's, there's two questions that are asked, right? The, the first one Jesus asked to the disciples. And the second one the disciples ask of each other. The first question that Jesus asked his disciples is this question. Where is your faith? The, the question is the only chastisement from, from Jesus here. It's incredibly gentle. But how in the world does someone answer this question? Right? Where, where's my faith? It, it washed overboard half an hour ago or I, I don't know I mean we, we, we can imagine each of them as they they float right with it with heavy breathing and as their eyes are gazing between Christ and just the calmness of the sea as they look out here uh, pondering in their minds where is my faith 
Just like the disciples are, are so prone to allow circumstances to dictate, or we are so prone to allow circumstances to dictate the state of our faith, rather than simply trusting in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, regardless of our circumstances. Now the disciples never do answer Jesus' question. But we see their, their fear and their marveling in, in verse 25 there. And it gives us some insight to their answer. You know, something along the lines of, you know, I don't know where my faith's been. But I know where it is now. My, my, my faith is focused on you, Jesus. Christians, if, if we're going to navigate life and death in this sin-stained world, and if we're going to do that well, we must have faith always with us. Ready to be put to use, even in the most terrifying of moments. Now, a while back, Christy Boyce was telling a few of us that uh, she keeps a pocket knife in her purse. So beware, first of all. Um, and, and, you know, just to use in case there's ever an emergency. If she's attacked or something is the way she's explaining it. And, and she, she had a lot of other stuff in her purse. And so a few of us were, were joking with her. Well, how long would it actually take you to get that knife out and ready to use if there was an emergency? And, and so we challenged her to see just how quickly she'd get the knife out. And unfolded and ready to use. Well, sorry, Christy, but it was a humorously long time. Uh, in the conversation, you know, someone suggested, you know, maybe you could tell your assaultant, you know, could you just hold on a bit while I dig around in here? Uh, I need to find. Could you shine a light in here for me, maybe? Uh, and it just took forever. So I share this not just to tease Christy, but certainly to do that. Uh, but also because if, if we're not intentionally learning, living with this idea that, that we can trust the Lord daily, right? To, to daily have faith in Jesus in all the moments of our life. Then the comfort of that faith is not going to be ready when the storms of life assail us. We're not going to be prepared in that moment. So, so don't just toss your faith, you know, your faith in Christ into a bag with everything else, right? But, but hold it in your hand. Hold it close. Ready to be put to use. This glorious gift of the Lord to us. And so then the other question in this passage, the, the question the disciples ask each other here is, who then is this? Right? They're looking at Jesus. They're thinking about this. And they're saying to each other, who then is this that, that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? And God's word informs us that they contemplate, or as they contemplate this question, they are afraid and they marvel. Only the, the fear is different than the one they had of the storm before. This is fear in the sense of just absolute awe. Who is this man? It causes them to marvel at Jesus. This is the response people often have to Jesus when they see his works. After Jesus cast out demons in Matthew 9.33, we're told that the, that the people marvel at him. In Matthew 21.20, 20, Jesus gives speech to the mute and he heals the lame. He gives sight to the blind. And we're told afterwards that all the people are just marveling at him. Even Pilate, after he just listened to Jesus speak, is said to marvel at him. You see, one of the purposes of the story here, uh, at least partial purpose of the story, is that we will marvel at Jesus just like his disciples do, so that we will understand who our Savior is. 
You see, the disciples here have seen him do some amazing things. And now they're learning that he can also command the weather and it responds. Just. And you understand this is reality and not just stories, right? This is real. That's insane. But remember, though, they're still learning who Jesus is. And now they know that he can control all, you know, the weather this way. But, but as they're learning, keep in mind, they, they already do know who controls the waters, right? Because think about it. These, these are Jewish men. It, it, was, it was God who created the flood while Noah is sealed in the ark. It was God who divided the Red Sea for his people to escape from Pharaoh. It was God who split the Jordan River so they get into the promised land. It was God who caused the storm that caused, uh, when Jonah tried to run away from him. They likely knew passages like Psalm 89, 8 and 9, which says this, O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, you rule the raging of the sea when its waves rise, you still them. Watching Jesus calm the sea, they have a new sense that Jesus is indeed God. Because they're seeing this. He didn't pray and ask God to calm the sea. He himself spoke to the storm and it obeyed his voice, ceasing. So maybe we can sense the new type of fear that arises in these disciples. I mean, can you, can you imagine realizing as they do, I, I am in a boat with God. With God. Amazing and terrifying. Jesus led them into the storm to strengthen their faith in Him. In him. Now, now, here's where this all comes together. I know it's hot in here. It's easy to zone out. Listen, though, this is where it really comes together. Because I, I need you to see this. Remember in verse 22, uh, if you've got your Bible open, look back there. Verse 22, uh, we're going to read it again. Because here we find this seemingly throwaway line, right, of just general information that is hugely significant. What's it say of Jesus there? It says, He got into a boat with his disciples. In that one line, we, we see the wonder of the incarnation. God the Son is born into the world as a man among mankind so that he can save us from our sin. He got into the boat with his disciples. Listen, Christian, the, the fear that consumes you need not consume you. I know we, we see the storms in our culture, right? Political storms that lead us to be anxious about the future, the future of the world that our children are going to grow up in. And listen, the storm is real, it is, but, but let us trust in Jesus, who is the one who can stop every storm, whether we're talking about waves and wind or we're talking about politics and terror. Christian, do not let the danger of the raging storm speak louder than the calm of Jesus' presence with you. We heard from Donald Inglis earlier, right? Uh, say it again. He says, it's not enough. It is enough that Christ goes with us on our journey. It is enough. Now, now you may be thinking, right? Uh, well, Jesus isn't in the boat with us today. Right? Even theologically, you can get pretty specific here. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. That's true, but he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, ruling, ruling from there. And also, since our God is a triune God, do not forget that every Christian is indwelled with the Holy Spirit. 
And the Holy Spirit, get this, the Holy Spirit's not some substitute for God. The Holy Spirit is God. And so our God is not just in the boat with us. He's actually in you. Christian, the the Lord has given you the, the promise of his eternal presence so that you can trust him in every single situation. Now, that doesn't mean we're, we're not going to suffer. We will. It doesn't mean Christians aren't going to die. We will. But, but never uh, outside of God's will. And here's where the real comfort here is. E- even in death, even in death, Jesus will see us through to his kingdom where he will dwell with us forever and ever. Which is why even the scariest storms, we can stay calm. We can sleep. We can rest. I'm going to close with these words that were spoken long ago by the Lord in Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 3. He says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Let's pray. Father, we often find ourselves in dangerous situations. May we find you mighty and powerful and kind and purposeful in all that you do, so that when the winds blow and the waves rage, We will know who to trust in. In you, Lord. May our faith in you grow as mighty as you yourself are. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.